All right. Let's welcome in Coach Kenny Simpson. Uh, this is his second time being here. The first time was back during COVID. Um, he is now a head coach once again. Back then, I think he was offensive coordinator, uh, but he's now a head coach once again. Um, and you might know him from his gun T system, which I have a funny story about that for you when we get going. Um, but okay. coach, thanks for being here. Man, thanks for having me on. Always fun to get on and talk football and, uh, always an honor to be wanted to come on. Yeah. You, you went back to, uh, at Southside high school, right? You went back, you were an OC, then you became the head coach again. Like it's coming back home. Uh, what was it like to be head coach again? going back well it's different you know I think my whole journey in coaching has been different and that's kind of uh, not really wasn't the intention you know I just wanted to be a coach like everybody else that gets into coaching and uh, around COVID I think a lot of people know my story I started producing coaching materials and that got bigger and bigger and bigger had the chance to travel and, and work with coaches and found out man I think as much as I like working with players and I really do I also really enjoy working with coaches, mm -hmm. you know, and as I get older, they start to look the same as I get older because mm -hmm. younger coaches coming up. And so I have a passion for helping that next generation of coaches. So left Cersei, which was kind of the dream job I'd had forever, um, took the job at one year, just kind of starting to get things figured out there and then had to make a decision of which path was I going to pursue and chose uh, working with coaches and traveling and doing that. That's been very successful. At the time we talked back in 2020, I think I had probably seven or eight coaching books uh -huh. up to 35 now. So 35 books uh, just meant to help coaches and meant to help. It's just kind of, and now I've got kind of a team of people that help me uh -huh. produce things. So it's, it's really it's grown quite a bit. Well, anyway, short story that I go back to Southside to kind of sit in the background and continue to pursue that. That's when we visited. Uh -huh. So I was the OC. Uh, we had a really good year that year. I was in the box for the first time, I think, ever. I really enjoyed just calling offense. Best I've ever done calling offense because that's all I had to do. Uh -huh. uh, well, the head coach, you know, when you have a good year, people want you. So the head coach had an opportunity to go back to his alma mater, go back home, get paid more money. And so he – Obviously, like most normal people would do, he considered that and eventually took that job, which opened up our job. Mm -hmm. And uh, so our admin came back and asked if I would fill in. So I filled in last year as head coach. They've asked me if I'll fill in another year. You know, I don't know how many of these one, mm -hmm. one, one years I'm going to do. We've got some really talented young coaches on my staff that I think are about ready. And as soon as they are ready, then I'll – gladly hand it back to them. Mm -hmm. But uh, to answer your question, being a head coach is a lot more stressful, you know, than being a, a coordinator or being a off the line coach. There's a lot more involvement. I, I think that I've grown quite a bit um, the last five or six years because I've been able to see how other coaches do things. While I work with them, I also watch and try to take the best of what they do and bring it back home. So it's been a different journey. Mm -hmm. uh, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, you're doing great things. I've seen the pictures of your turf getting put in. It looks beautiful. And, you know, you guys are taking that step forward. And uh, it looks beautiful. Um, but the, the the funny thing about your – we'll get to the gun T system. Our head coach does not do social media. He's not, like – 
he's only like 38, but he's like, I don't do it. I don't understand it. I don't know. He could live in a cabin with no technology and be happy. Coming into the offseason, he goes, we got to have a system. We got to have a system. Have you heard of this Kenny Simpson guy and this gun T system? And I started laughing. And I'm like, yes, I've talked to him before. And so, like, even a guy with no social media, your system has, like, reached people without it. He's like, I've seen it somewhere. I want to look at it. And so, did you think it was going to be that big when you were thinking about, like, your offense and you were putting it out there? No, not at all. You know, it was not at all. You know, I, I put it out there and, and we have evolved it. You know, we started it back in 2015, which, you know, everything in football is built on something else. So I hate to say we started and we all we did was we we kind of organized it and made it a system. The wing tee's been around forever. Power football's been around forever. Shotgun wing tee, you know, has relatively new. Um, and so there were guys that were running it before, but they didn't really have like a a system with uh-huh. it. And so um, started doing that 2020, put it out, uh, and it it's grown tremendously. And it's now run it's now running over all 50 states, and you know, like this one, six continents. Did you know that they had football in Japan? <laughs> that they're running the gun tee in Australia and that they're running the gun tee in parts of Africa where they have leagues of football. Cause I would have never have known that, uh-uh. uh, but guys reach out to me and a lot of, like you mentioned the power of social media. I mean, if you're a guy who's in Brazil trying to learn football, there are only so many places you can go. Mm-hmm. So it's been really, really cool. But no, I had zero idea. Uh, didn't that was not my plan. My plan had been more the general coaching materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, as this has taken off, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I just laughed at it, and then I told him, I was like, I think he travels and like installs this for you guys. And he had considered it. He was like, Well, maybe, maybe I'll pay it because he's like, I got the money. We'll pay. We'll get him up here. And then something never happened and it didn't fall through. I just thought it was funny. Even without social media, he found it somehow. He was. Ooh. I can't remember how he found it. Um, Could be YouTube, maybe. Maybe. I don't remember how he did it. I think that's all he knows how to use is YouTube and Gmail. Yeah. I think that's all he knows. And tell him not too late. Those installs are a ton of fun. Like those, I do, I only do about two or three years because I'm a head coach now and don't have as much time. But it's really cool to see how football is run across the country. Like, who, how would some random guy from Arkansas have the chance to travel? to Portland, Oregon, and Portland, Maine, and parts of Florida, and San Diego, California. Uh, But it's really been cool to see that, you know, when you watch social media and you watch the news, if you watch either one of those, you think our country hates each other. Uh But man, when you've been to those places and you're with other coaches, we've got so much in common. It's been Uh really cool to connect and see that. Yeah, because we do joint practices even, like, with other teams that we don't even play. And what what you just said, we, we realize that they show up, we all BS and talk and we all get along and, and it's like, yeah, we don't hate each other. We're, we're, right. you know, the country's right in the middle. So it's, we don't hate each other, especially coaches. Like I think the world would be better if coaches ran it like the States. 100%, and stuff. A thousand. Think about like, do you get to walk into the coaching office and leave with a massive deficit, no problem solved and just blaming other coaches? No, you get fired. Yeah. You know, but that's how politicians operate. Yeah. Yeah. I said that during COVID with our the state of Illinois. I don't care who knows. I think it's a mess. And I said, you know what? What if a coach ran for governor and ran it? I think we'd all be okay. Because, like you said, we would game plan and work together like with other states. But 
that's just that was just me. Like I was like, you know, we have a legendary head coach here. He he just retired. He has like 700 wins or something in the state of Illinois. I was like, he right. needs to run because he would understand how what it takes. It's real. Well, there's a difference. Difference in coaching and politics. One of us is trying to bring people together, and the other is trying to push people apart. Yes, uh, but. I'm from central Illinois and I live up in the suburbs. I have a different viewpoint than the suburbs of Chicago. I have a, I'm the country boy coming up here. And so, but my views are wrong, but anyway, that's a whole other whatever. Um, but when the reason why I don't think we fully committed to the gun T is because we all are like, well, do we have the players to do it? And I said, well, what do you mean? Do we have the players I was like, Coach Simpson puts up film and your players look just like ours, kind of. Like, we're almost the same. And he's like, well, do we have the players to down block? Do we have the players to do this? And I'm like, well, that's, I think that's part of his system is if you, have to, if you look at it, you have a lot of what-ifs. Like, if they do this, then we do this. And then it, it's not because you run one, one, run one play this year doesn't mean you have to run it the next year. And I think that's the beauty of what you, can, like, what you put together and presented it that way. Sure. No, that's the goal. I mean, I'm a high school coach. Unlike some in our state, I don't recruit, you know, and so I get kind of what I get in a rural school. So that that, that talent is going to fluctuate drastically year to year, position to position. So we needed a system that would adapt to that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why we went to what we went to, because you know, I've now had, I think in the last, since we started this system, I think I've had seven or eight different quarterbacks play for me. And I don't think I've had one that was the same as the other, you know, and so the spread world, that's what gets you a lot of times is, you know, you got a great quarterback, looks great. Well, he's gone. Now what do we do? We have to change everything. And I didn't want that, you know, and so we wanted a system that would kind of flux to what he did. And then I think a lot of the draw for me is a lot of coaches. I don't just put out good film. Like I don't, I'll put out, here's our whole game. Here's where we really struggled. And here's some things that we're doing to correct that. And then I think that they recognize when you look at our kids, we got some great kids, uh-huh. uh, but this might be the first year in probably 10, 12 years that I've potentially had a division one uh, kid and he'll be a, a mid tier division one if he's fortunate enough to go. Uh-huh. And so I think that draws people is I'm not showing videos of throw it up to your six, five kid or hand it off to your D one running back. We're showing 140-pound running back, running behind a 180-pound guard at a high level in high school and having success. And I think that's probably a lot of the draw uh-huh. for coaches is, okay, if they can do that, you know, then we can do that. Right. Well, that's exactly where my linemen are not big. They are not big, but they're all seniors. They're all coming back. They're all seniors. I'm a big inside zone guy, so part of the thing was, you're not getting rid of that out of me. I still want to do it. Um but our head coach is really big on the same thing you're just saying. How do we figure out to, to our strengths? For example, the quarterback that's not coming back, he is your typical spread quarterback. He's going to sling it, do whatever. Now that he's gone, we're looking at quarterbacks that cannot sling it. So that's why we are even sitting here going, do we go to a pistol and figure out how to play to his strengths and do all that stuff? So he has circled back to your guys' stuff because he, our head coach, if he could line up in power eye and just pound the ball over and over, he would. That's who he is. I'm not. I like to be in a shotgun look. Um, so, like with your system, does it? You found it's easier on your quarterback, no matter what, because that's what we're worried about: is a young quarterback that might be a sophomore. 
has to come in and take the reins. Right. Now, our, the way we've kind of designed ours and has evolved even more every year, and of course it can adapt, you know, to your quarterback strengths, but for the most part, 99% of the plays that we run, run or pass, uh, play action or drop back, whatever it is, the quarterback reads one defensive player. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, what I call quarterback friendly, uh, because like you mentioned, uh, I don't get to choose the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So some years you have that 4.0 kid, they can drop back in hand, he could do more. Well, we're going to give him a little bit more. We might give him two reads. You know, mm-hmm. and then most years, though, the high school quarterback type of kid that I have mm-hmm. is a pretty decent athlete. He can throw it a little bit. You know, he's probably a better runner than a thrower. Um, and so we've kind of started figuring out, okay, if that's what I'm going to get, then we need to keep – or he's very young. Like a lot of our guys, are, they get one year to start, you know, or I started a sophomore here in a couple of years. So we need them to read one defensive player and play off of that, which is where the RPO game comes in. We've now adopted our drop back passing and our rollout passing to be the same reads. You read one defensive player. If he does whatever, then the read is built off of that. Um. Have you stayed more gap scheme with this or have you ever adopted like maybe we have the guys that do a zone game and we'll incorporate that too? At Searcy, um, you know, they had been running inside and outside zone when I took the job. And so we kept it because mm-hmm. they knew how to do it. They were relatively good at it. It's really easy to run split zone and the mm-hmm. look we give you with that wing coming across. So good play action game out of that too. So we kept it. We tried to put it in at Southside in 2021, uh, but our guards both weighed about 185, and we're blocking, we're blocking 280-pound three techniques, and so it just it never materialized, and so we have not run it at, at the school I'm at now. Like we've not run any zone. Uh, I'm not saying you can't run it, especially at some schools that already do it. If you watch on a Saturday, a lot of teams are getting into my personnel packages and they're running zone. Uh-huh. So it's a lot of times I just tell coaches it's dependent on what you guys have background in and then what your ability is. But we do – we have run it in the past. We currently do not. Yeah, because we, we've we already put an inside zone and wide zone, you know, and now with our quarterback situation, we're now sitting here going, do we go back to putting in power? And we haven't necessarily adopted buck sweep, but we put in like a sweep. Like just pulling one or two guys that pin and pull thing. Well, that's what we side. call that Trojan. So we just, you know, we're going to seal the edge, uh-huh. block the edge, and then we're going to pull all the uncovers essentially. That's what we're going to put in because, again, I'm dealing with like you. Like I maybe have a lineman that's 200 pounds or so, but one of my guards who should be a running back, but we've forced him to be a lineman his whole life, pulling him. And we were like, our backside guard will never get there. That's why we haven't adopted buck sweep because we're like, is that backside guard ever going to get there? That's what we're right. worried about. And because we did pin and pull last year, and that's what we ran into was, is our backside guard ever going to get there? Or they're blitzing a lot, so it comes through and just ruins everything. Right. And a lot of times if you're going to run, in my experience, if you're going to run a lot of pin and pull and you're going to run into that zone, you're going to be good at one and okay at the other. Uh-huh. And so you, as a team, you have to kind of make that decision for us at Southside and at Cersei, even if we were going to run zone, that was going to be our, we're okay at that. We're great at the other. Uh-huh. So that's kind of, that would be what I would suggest. Cause it's going to be really hard to run gap scheme 
and zone scheme and be you're not going to be great at both unless you're in the NFL. You know, that's right. just not going to happen. But can you be great? What are you going to what are you going to hang your hat on at the end of the day? You know, for us, that's usually buck sweep. And then if we had to run some kind of inside run, like a like a zone or whatever, then we have it in the playbook. It's just something we don't generally highlight. Right. Like I'm dabbling in duo right now. I'm like, how can I take my inside zone work, but then also add a gap to it with duo or, or ISO or what you call, you guys call belly. I call ISO. Right. We're wrapping a guard. Yeah. Yeah. That's been, that's become, that's probably the first play I'd put in if I was you guys, if you're already running zone, you kind of have that idea. That's a really easy install, you know? And so that's something I ran in the spread world before I even got to the gun tee back in 2012, 2011 was uh, basically it's like draw when you're just mm-hmm. basically fanning everybody out, wrapping a guard through the hole. And then, and so that's where the origins of what we're trying to call belly now came from. Yeah, because we see a ton of 3-3. Three, three. Everybody goes to that 3-3. Three, three. Our conference, everybody runs 3-3, three, 3-5. Three, three, so when I got to the school in 2020, I said, hey, what if we run an ISO? Then if they give us four eyes and we can kick out with a guard, wrap the tackle, the wing, and the other sure. guard, and now you're getting this big-time push, or put a – tight end and a wing and if that happens kick out you get tons of guys coming to the party correct so we're um this year we put in where we're going to wrap the guard and the tackle uh-huh. so we're going to belly we're going to block back with the center on like a four eye or a three then uh-huh. handle the nose with the guard you know and then we're pulling guard and tackle and reading outside linebacker for the pull uh-huh. so or if it's a five technique read the five technique for the pull so that's been a new – so now we're getting three insert players off of that look. Yeah, we're, 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 we're dabbling in kind of what you guys do, but out of a pistol look. And that's because our running backs, we've realized the footwork isn't great and their vision's not great. And we want to get downhill as quickly as possible. So we're trying to figure out how we mesh that with a pistol look is kind of what we're well, – what I've found with running backs that don't look, that don't have great vision, because we've got a bunch of them that we have come through. We've got some good ones now, but if you tell them to follow the guard, that's a very easy cue, you know. And so, anytime you're like running the zone, that's a problem because they got to see it. Mm-hmm. But anytime you pull a guard or a lead blocker, you've pretty much taken their vision out of the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, you're now telling them you put your hand on this guy and you follow him, and so that's helped us tremendously. With backs, that's one of the reasons we run so much gap scheme is not just the linemen, but also the backs. I think at Cersei, I had two really good running backs. And so zone made sense because you give them a lot more freedom. Uh-huh. They have freedom to whatever they want to do. Um, and then in gap scheme, obviously, you don't give them as much freedom. So that's been one of the reasons we've done that. Yeah, we were lucky. I got there. They had a senior running back. He could do it all. And then last year we got lucky. A transfer came in, and that's yeah. why we put him wide zone because he was shifty and could do that things. Now we have brand new – we have another transfer come in, but he came from a traditional under center, you know, wing thing. And I don't know if he played a lot. I think that's why he came to us. Like, I'm not playing a lot. I'm going to go here. And from watching it, their vision, I think, can come, but I think it's because we're in sidecar, and so the aiming point gets messed up. Inside zone, I'm overcompensating. I'm like, aim for the center, and hopefully you'll get to the guard. Like, I'm overcompensating it. 
from sidecar, they get to that BC gap where I don't want them to go. If we do pistol, they get right where I need them to go. And that's why we're screwing around with that. And then wide zone just works better from like a pistol under center look than that sidecar. And then duo works a lot better because they're just reading the linebacker. Like they're just going to read that linebacker and go the opposite. So pistol, they do it better than that sidecar. And that's kind of why I think the head coach went away from like a system, like a gun T because everything's been from sidecar. And he's like, well, what if we just do pistol? And that's kind of where we're dabbling with that. Yeah, I, mean, I think everything well, – you got to do what helps your kids, I would say. Well, that's why he hasn't done buck sweep. He goes, you can't do it out of pistol unless it's like a toss. Mm-hmm. And that's – well, that's why we did the sweep. We were like, if you just pull one, can we toss it? Um, can we do sidecar and pistol and just hand it to the guy from the sidecar and do that stuff? And that's kind of where we're we're trying to mold everything right. together. Um, don't be surprised if this summer, next summer, he goes to your full thing. Cause he might, he might be like, you know what? Screw it. We were, we're going to do this. And you know, as a coach, this is stressful is when you have to change it at the last second. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the yep. most stressful thing in the world. Well, I hope you'll have success, but I've not been to Illinois in a while. So if you need me up there, you let me know. So. Oh, it might happen. It might happen because. He, they were watching your videos from YouTube, and then he was giving it to the OC and watching it, and then we just – I don't know. We all coach like three sports, two sports, so it just never fully – you know, we're coaching right. baseball, we're coaching track, and it never fully took its form. And then in Illinois, we deal with – we got done with school June 2nd. June 5th, basketball camp started, travel baseball started. We just started weight room stuff for football. Like football gets put on the back burner when it comes to June. It's terrible. Yeah. It's tough. That's what I'm. And y'all get so y'all get out late because we get out usually around you know May twentieth, kind of that range. Well, yeah, we got out like two days later because for the first time we had like a snow day because it was during finals. Like it got bad, we couldn't come in for finals, so they had to move everything back so they could take their finals so that's why we got out even later that first week of june we're supposed to be done but because of that they had to move everything back and everybody already had june 5th as the day of sports so it didn't change nothing it was like well you're done june 2nd june 5th here we go okay okay well we've got you see we've got i do a coach's cruise that run it memorial day and so uh-huh. I, I, I always try to figure out when does everybody get out of school that's what i'm trying to set that mm-hmm yeah, and then they changed our uh, uh, Christmas time. Usually at the school I'm at now, we get out. The It was like before Christmas, you were on Christmas break. Mm-hmm. Then they changed it now to where we go to school straight through the 23rd, and then we don't come back till after like – we don't come back till like January 6th or something. We still get that two and a half weeks or whatever it is, but they've moved it up. Right. Which was nice because you get New Year's and you have time off. Right. So that's another reason why I got pushed back a couple of days too. Gotcha. Um, and it's Illinois. Who knows? We're, we're a mess. It doesn't matter what we do or say, especially in the suburbs. And I don't care who knows it. We're a mess. Um, you even started a podcast with all this stuff to like give all that. What kind of caused you to come into my world a little bit? <laughs> well, I reached out. I had a guy come to my clinic. Um, that does Joe Daniels. He's kind of the host of Joe Daniels podcast. Okay. His name is Daniel, Daniel Chamberlain. Yeah. 
so he'd come to my clinic a couple of years. We'd kind of become friends on and off. And so I said, man, I don't know enough about your world. So I know that there's a lot of back end stuff you do. And I don't really have a huge desire to learn a lot on that back end. I said, but I would, I wouldn't mind coming on and just talking ball and bringing on some guests. And, and so uh, he said, well, I'll, man, I'll do it for you. And so I, I pay him a little bit and he handles kind of uh, helps me acquire guests and all the show notes and helps me get it put onto a platform. And mm-hmm. I said, well, if you're already doing that, then so come on. So really he does a lot of the heavy lifting on that as far as the back end stuff. And I just kind of, I'll help him get guests. We'll kind of talk over shows we want to do. And then, uh, then I come on and talk ball. We've really not veered away from the gun tee on it because I, obviously that's what I do, but we've mm-hmm. tried to make it more of a general uh, we just call it coaching one-on-one podcast. We try to focus on like basic essential elements of coaching. So we did one on fundraising recently. We did one on transition from a coordinator to a head coach. And mm-hmm. we're starting to get some pretty good guests. We had Cody Alexander came on, Tony Holler came on. You might've had a few of them already mm-hmm. on your show, I'd imagine. Uh, I got Houston Nutt to come on. I'm a big Arkansas guy. Uh-huh. So it was fun for us to get him on. So Really, uh, just put out about one a week, and, and like I said, Daniel handles a lot of that stuff. Uh, it's been really cool for us. Yeah, I, I like that because I started doing that this offseason. I during COVID for some reason I was big on culture, that word culture, and then this offseason I was like, well, that's a dumb word. We throw that around all the time. What does that even mean? Like, and so I've been big on that. So you doing like offense coordinator stuff, transitioning, like that's the stuff I think. We're now COVID. We were all in scheme for some reason. Like it's scheme. It's this. Now that we're out of COVID, it's more of the other stuff. You know, it's it's systems. It's if you want to say the word culture, it's fundraising. It's building relationships because we're dealing with COVID kids. They don't understand how the world actually works. And so when you did that, I was like, that's a brilliant idea to do that. You know, to put that information out there. Yeah. Well, we're excited about it. I think, like you mentioned. Uh, a lot of times coaches when they're young think there's a magic pill like everybody else does. And I'm not just picking on coaches. That's who we're talking to, but we think if there's a magic pill, like right now I'm about 10 pounds over the weight I want to be. So what did I do? I went on Amazon and looked for a weight loss pill. Uh-huh. I know how to lose weight, get off my butt and eat better. Uh-huh. You know, that's so you lose weight, but that's not convenient. And so I don't do that, you know? So the same thing happened with coaching. We think there's a magic pill of an X and O play I can draw or a new defensive scheme I can draw. And the reality is coaching is all the same. It's relationships, being organized, being able to to motivate kids, Mm -hmm. uh, and then being disciplined in what you do. And so we know what it takes, but we're always looking for the shortcut. And I think that's unfortunately a lot of times why – when I get to talk scheme, I try to make sure I, I'm very upfront. I said, like, I can give you the best plays and the big, best playbook, but it's all about kind of the chef. You know, I, I get asked this a lot. Aren't you worried about putting all your stuff out there that, you know, that, man, you put it out there, people are going to go run it and they're going to stop you. I said, well, you know, the best chefs in the world can put their recipes online and they're still going to cook it the best because uh-huh. there's a lot more to – running an offense or running a defense or running a program than just using somebody else's checklist. You know, it's a lot deeper thought process. And that's why we 
we actually started the Offensive Coordinator Academy mm-hmm. and Defensive Coordinator Academy. That was the thought process behind those. You know, a lot of coaches just want to buy a playbook, and that's fine. You know, that's uh, we'll obviously we'll sell that and we'll help guys with that. But those academies are much more into in-depth learning how to do it yourself. And I think mm-hmm. that's so much more valuable to a coach. Yeah. I, I have the mindset I could walk in a game and hand the guy the playbook. I'm like, here you go, but you got to stop us. Do you know what I'm calling? I never understood that. Like coaches at clinics keep it all to themselves. And I never understood that. It never made sense. No, it, it doesn't. I mean, I think, I think it's becoming different now because here's yeah. the deal. You can go on YouTube or you can go on whatever, and I can get it all 22 on whatever I want to go get. So being secretive really is not to your advantage anymore. But it used to be that way. Oh, yeah. yeah. It used to be that way. Yeah. And like I said, COVID was like, it, it came open. Then when COVID ended, like in 2021 ish, then it came back to that going to glaciers, which I still go to, but it became yeah. still secretive of like, like you said, hey, here's my Division One lineman that's going to do this. Right. Well, what about, well, how'd you get him to do that? Or like, what's this? Well, we'll, we'll watch him. Just watch him do this. I'm like, well, hold on. Like, we don't have that guy. Yeah. Right. Like I don't have there, that. There are like there's there's a lot of great places to go. I grew up going to Glacier Clinics and, and we still try to go to one a year if we can. And, and but now you're starting to see kind of a movement in the clinic world, even. You know, I, I travel around and I do like clinics of my system. I know forever Tony Franklin's been doing that. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see these like wing T clinics where it's like where this is a specific theme we're going to do. I, I would imagine. There are probably, if there aren't already, like defensive, specific defensive scheme type clinics where if I want to run the 3-4, no offense to the other clinics, but I don't want to get three sessions on the 3-4 by a guy who may or may not be good. Uh-huh. Like I want to go to a coach who runs the 3-4. I can either travel to like a college, but the issues with that become I may not have his players. I could go travel to a high school that runs it. But again, I'm kind of dealing with, is that guy willing to work with me? Mm-hmm. So I think you're starting to see now, like we run the gun T system clinic. You're starting to see a draw and we'll, we'll take the national clinic will have 300 different coaches here. And these other clinics will have 200 different coaches that show up because they want to learn one scheme. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just on my scheme, but I would imagine that that would be a big draw in other offenses like a Harding Academy or Harding university down the road mm-hmm. from the flex bone camp. And so they have like 200 coaches from all across the country. You want to run into flex bone, you're going to get two days of this. The other thing I think you're starting to see in clinics, Harding does it too, and we do it in our gun T ones, is we'll bring the players out there and you get to watch like a mock kind of practice of what we do because that's the best way to learn is watching how we're actually teaching the players what to do. So you're seeing these transitions in the clinic world um, that I think are have been a really good thing, and I think you're going to continue to see more and more of those. Uh-huh. The last week we did, I pulled up a game, just a random game, showed our pregame practices, showed our game plan, and then walked through the game, the good play calls I had, the bad play calls I had, and I think that's what coaches really learn from is watching that kind of stuff. And there's still a a, a, a there's still a, a place uh-huh. for a general coaching clinic because 
you may be a young coach and you're just trying to learn as much football as you can. But I think if you really want to go in depth, going to a specific theme type clinic is going to help you tremendously. Yeah, because I feel like the Glacier is about building connections. It's about maybe getting drills for whatever you want. Then, like, what you're doing is the big picture. And then that's awesome that you bring players out so they can fully – because some of us are visual learners. I am. So it's like when you bring them out and you can see what you're working with too. Like, these are my linemen. This is my quarterback. This is what I work with. Right. Right. And so I think that's kind of the way things are moving, you know, and so – uh, this year we did a clinic. Let's see where we go. I did one in uh, near Sacramento, and I brought Blair Hubbard in. So he did like five sessions on his fashion to fly, which I think y'all would have been all over just hearing you talk about what you're trying to run. His system might have been a better fit for you than my system because he's pistol. Mm-hmm. You know, and he brings a lot of the fly kind of double wing type look stuff. So guys could go watch him do his thing or they can come over and watch me do my thing. And so you're starting to kind of see these things take off everywhere. I'm, I'm actually talking right now with, uh, the, I think the single wing guru. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's out of, he was an Alabama enterprise. Now he's down in Florida. I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, but I'm talking about bringing him into one of my clinics because I've got a lot of guys that want to run single wing and where, where better to go than the guy who kind of, is the man uh-huh. and go see how he does things. So I think that's the, the way coaches are learning now. If you want to learn how to run, you know, uh, the, the uh, slot T, uh-huh. then there needs to be a, a clinic available for those guys that want to just learn that system. Right. Which moving on with the times is kind of what you've done, I think, is like uh, Coach Mack on YouTube. He was like the blazer for doing YouTube. And he was like, I was just at the right place at the right time. I was just drawing stuff up on a whiteboard and it just took off. And then you kind of think saw those that you're ahead of your time. You kind of saw it and then just kind of went with it. And then like you gave it back to coaches and you saw where it was going. And you said, well, this is a good idea and just kind of went with it. I think that's the deal. And that's really, I think what, like we mentioned from the start here, you know, when I started saying, okay, I want to, what can I do to help coaches better? Well, you have to listen to what they want. Like uh-huh. we did clinics, the first couple of clinics we did, we didn't include player things. And then every, we did one and everybody was like, man, we should do more of that. So uh-huh. we do more of that. And so and then we do breakout rooms. So it's just listening to what coaches want and how they learn. You know, I think that's, that's why a lot of times you're starting to see coaching materials get better and better. And, I, I, and for the younger generation that might be listening to this, there's so much information out there. You almost have to be careful uh-huh. not taking in too much information. Like that's why I think trying to find whatever you decided you're going to do, you know, of course, taste test it all, you know, like everybody else test everything, you know, but if you go to a buffet and you try to eat 19 different full meals, you're going to be very sick. Uh-huh. You know, so once you kind of figure out what you want, dive super deep into that. Cause I think what gets coaches in trouble offensively and defensively is a flavor of the month uh-huh. where we we can run a little bit of this and we can run a little bit of that. We can run a little bit of this. And then we don't, when it's fourth and one, we don't really know what to call because what, what are we hanging our hat on? Or when it's when the game's on the line and your season is on the line on this drive. So my mindset is you work backwards. So when you need to know now when the game's on the line and these are the situations we're going to face, these are the plays we're going to call and the formation we're going to be in. 
So let's be really, really good at that stuff. So in those moments, we don't blink. Mm-hmm. That I did that during COVID, right before COVID and during COVID. I started this and that was the problem. I wanted to talk to everybody, but I wanted everything. And it's almost like overdosing on it. Like you, like someone told me this, males' brains are kind of like garages. We put things in a box and we put it on the shelf. We know where it is. It might be somewhere weird, but we know we can grab it. And I was just putting everything in my mind. I was like, I want to run this. I want to run this. I love this. Defensively too. I like this. I like this. Then it got to a point where I had to walk away from football for a second and be like, this is so much that I'm taking in because we had all that time. Mm-hmm. And then now we're at a point where I don't have that kind of time. I like learning it. I like writing it down and putting it somewhere to maybe one day, like you said, I can grab it and be like, hey, maybe we can run this this year. It's here. Does it fit into what we're doing? What can we get rid of to, to replace it? But I did that too. Uh, and I was old. I was 29 years old when COVID hit, I think. Yeah, something like that. And I was like, I've overdosed on football. Like it's too much. And then I did the same thing. I was watching college and I'm like, well, that looks great. That looks cool. Let's run it. Let's put it in right now. And I did that when I was younger, saw it on a Wednesday or Thursday night football. All right, let's put it in. That's it's dumb. I was so dumb for doing that. We all do that. A lot of it is, that's how we learn as a coach. You know, as we go through and we experience this and that, and we hear older coaches. I'm now the older coach. I heard older coaches before me talk about being simple and being really good at what you do. But again, we look for the magic pill because uh-huh. that's how we're wired. We're wired to find the shortcut to success, the quickest path. I don't think there's really anything wrong with that. I think that's how we're naturally made, but it takes us a while to realize there really is no magic pill. you know. And, and now we've got to just be really good at what we do. Uh-huh. And that goes into building a team and a, not a culture. I don't even know what the word to replace that is, but building your program and the standard, setting the standard. That's another thing that you have, we have to realize is it's not going to happen right away. It takes time because you have to establish how you run and getting kids on time. Are they good people dealing with grades, dealing with all that? It, it takes time. And that's what we're doing right now is rebuilding this program back to what it was. And that takes time. And especially COVID sets you back probably a year. And so system is great, but building that up is what we're realizing now. And that's where we're at a point right now where like, hey, we give you guys leadership tools. We give you this. We give you this. And it's just got to get built up from there. Yeah, and it's, like you said, it's a, time, it's, it's a process. It takes time. You know, any coach going in anywhere can – he can make a difference year one. But the real telltale sign of that guy is four or five years down the road, you know, as he's had players for that long – what are they what are they prioritizing you know and so being real clear with what you want to be prioritized and a lot of us as coaches we we there's a lot of coach speak where we can talk about like like uh, we want to have this that and the other and of course we do so I'll give you an example like we want to have super clean lockers and we have 4.0 mm-hmm. kids and we want to have whatever it is we still have to get on our kids about once every two weeks about making sure the locker room is clean. Uh-huh. We've got to take them out and run them. We've got kids that, believe it or not, don't really enjoy going to school. And so you got to kind of drag them through with grades. So you have to kind of figure out what's, what is most important for us. You know, and, and reality is we're, our job is to help them become better people. So some kids, you take them from 
not passing any classes to getting a 2.0 and that's success. Mm -hmm. Or they come from a house that is a disaster area and you get them to throw their cleats in the bottom of a locker. That's a success. Okay. But the reality is ultimately we're going to be hired or fired based on how successful we are on the field. Mm -hmm. And so while a lot of coaches want to say we do all these things, the reality is you better make sure you're ready for the games. Because mm -hmm. if you're not winning games or not getting guys the correct direction in those games, you're not going to be long enough to change a culture. Mm -hmm. You know, so you better make sure that you're spending enough time prioritizing that as well. You know, we spend a lot of time making sure that we have study halls and we have this and we have that. We have this. You probably need to spend equal amount of time on are we preparing our guys to win the game that's coming up? Because if you're not, it's the society we're in today you'll be gone before you can fix it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why us coaches are getting stressed out because that's just adding on top of what we're supposed to do. But if you do those things, then hopefully it leads to wins because then they buy they, – yeah. they, yeah. but but you are right. Like you can't prioritize one 110% over the other because they kind of go together. Now, right, you have to win. But if you're doing all that extra work during the day and then you get the football side at like 2.30 in the afternoon, now, okay, now we're prioritizing this. Hopefully that leads to wins, which coaches sometimes we forget. Like that will, but we can't sacrifice the other stuff too, which. Right. And this what's frustrating as coach is there's been times I've done everything right. And like, you know, where I, we've, we've done everything right on the, the front end of all the character training. We've done everything right on training for football and we go out and just get our brains beat in because the other guy recruited the best players, you know, and, and their kids are, he's got kids he's dealing with that are getting arrested and whatever else. So we come on here and talk about culture and character a lot, but sometimes we have to recognize what's reality. Uh -huh. You know, what is reality of what is the best we could do with this group? Let's try to overachieve every year. If that's winning four games instead of two, that's a good year. If that's winning eight games to the six, that's a good year. You know, whatever that is, you need to figure out what you're, where you are, kind of what that standard needs to be. And then we always say, if I wasn't in the building, someone else is coaching them, you looked at them as everybody they played, and they could win five games, then we want to make sure we win at least six or seven. Mm -hmm. Then we feel like as a coach we've made a difference on that end. And I think a lot of times young coaches – they judge success of a coach based off this guy's won eight state championships, and there, there's a lot of success there. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that at all, because eight, whatever it is, that's mm -hmm. a big job. But did he have 91 kids come through? You know, sometimes we ignore that coach that might be, hey, this guy won a conference championship, and his kids should have been like seventh in the conference, mm -hmm. and so. It's kind of a weird deal how we decide what coaches are good at and, and who's not, and who is, who we listen to, who we don't listen to. You know, it's it's odd. So if you're a young guy and you're listening, don't think that this guy won state. I'm going to go spend a week with him, do what he does, and I'm going to win state. It doesn't. That's not how the world works. No, because I've been at a school where it was four thousand kids. It's considered really low income, and those kids. I had kids living out of a car. They lived in a hotel who knew where their next meal was coming from. So we always, we always had peanut butter and jelly around. And to us, that was like, it will turn to wins. Don't worry. We're focused on winning, but we have to do that extra step. So like our study hall is three to four. Then we got to practice four thirty to six thirty or six. So we're there late. 
but they've got to pass. They got to make sure they eat. Team meals, coaches never ate. We gave it to them. We were like, you take all the food. We we can go buy our food. Like we're in a spot where we can go do that. And to us, that was like, a kid got killed. So it's like, make sure that, you know, we had kids around gangs. And it was like, to, success was to make sure they were taken care of. Correct. Now I've been, you know, we feed our kids and we're in a low income area. And so not every kid, but multiple kids, you know, when, when we don't see them for a couple of weeks, they lose weight. Well, there's no food at home, you know, so that's kind of deals where things we're dealing with as a coach. And those are the kind of things that scheme is fun to talk about, but the reality is on your tombstone, they don't write down the inventor of the gun tee. No one's going to put that or care about that when I'm gone. They're going to care about how I treated them how I help them become better people, mm-hmm. you know? And so this is what you got to try to keep in the forefront of your mind. We're about to get hit with win games, practice, parent yells at you. You're going to get all that stuff's going to happen, but what you'll be remembered for by those kids and more importantly, by your own family is how you treated them in those times. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why our, if you're, you're, even if you're a teacher, your day split in half, you, you're teaching or whatever it is. Part of that is still walking around the hallway to make sure they're going to class, their grades, everything else. And then, like I said, 2, 30, 3 o'clock, it becomes scheme. It becomes this. It becomes this. Then you go home. You're with your family. And then a part of you for a half hour to an hour is still, like, getting yeah. that ready to go. And that's why being a coach takes a lot. And it's like I did that during COVID telling young coaches, you better be ready for what's about to happen to you if you want to be successful at making them good people and maybe winning some games along the way and having fun with scheme, you got to have fun somewhere. Like it's fun to go out there and do that stuff, but like be prepared for what you're about to walk into when you make that decision, football, basketball, baseball, it doesn't matter. Be prepared for what you're about to walk into with that. It's tough, man. It's a tough world. And we make it harder because the sports culture is so toxic. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes it so much more difficult it's hard enough to be a teacher. Like I have a ton of respect for just teachers that just, they just teach math or teach whatever. That's hard enough. Mm-hmm. Then you throw on top of that. Now we're also going to coach and we're going to be judged by unfair standards. The reality is unfair standards. You're going to be put in no win situations where whatever you decide is probably wrong to somebody. And so it's tough. You know, I hate to, I hope we're not going to be like just being down on all these young coaches that are listening. But like you said, you need to be ready for that moment. And that's why a lot of times, those other nugget I'd put out here is it's really easy to sit in an assistant's chair and pick apart decisions the head coach is making. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to do that. When I was a young assistant coach, I remember looking and going, that's so dumb. Like, why would you do that? And I didn't probably know half the things that coach knew. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you kick this guy off? It's really easy to say things like that when you're the assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Or, why are we doing this? Or whatever it might be. But you have zero idea until you sit in the chair of the guy with the pressure that's on him and the amount of things that he's trying to juggle in the air. So, be really careful with that. If you're a young head, a young assistant coach, be extremely gracious with a guy who's in that chair and offer to help however you can, because that guy's dealing with a ton of stress Mm -hmm. or volunteer to do it. Like I, as dumb as it sounds, I volunteered to do to run the social media pages. I said, you know what? Social media is huge. You got to have that presence somewhere. I'll do it. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. 
or whatever. And that, that'll stick out. Like if you're willing to step in or like, I might step in and say, Hey, you know what? The team story we're going to do, I'll help you set it up. Like, don't worry about it. And well, that's why I mean, I, I, some of the materials I do, I don't have it with me here, but we do like a head coach's workbook. And, and a lot of that is stuff I've done. Like, here's how you delegate. Here's a couple of things where we've given each coach a role to kind of ease your burden there. Uh-huh. And so that's one of the, my big passions for coaches is trying to work with these young head coaches or, or old head coaches, doesn't matter, about different things that we've done. Here's some ideas on an emergency action plan. Here's uh-huh. some ways you can – all these things you didn't think about here it is in one book here's examples and then you fill in kind of what you want and i think a lot of coaches if they're ahead of the game on that you can the stress doesn't go away but a lot of times we bring stress on ourselves because we're not organized and so a small issue becomes an emergency which kind of heightens it and so if you can kind of be on the front end be prepared then that helps Uh because they don't think about our head coach, even he's like, I knew what I was walking into, but I didn't fully know what I was walking into. He's like, because he gives us a packet of like, he kind of does what you just said, a packet of like our expectations, what we're doing. And it gives your job titles. And under his, his is like this long, you know, like, boom, mine is probably this big. His is fundraising. His is talking to the principal. His is talking to this, the community. He, he, he hasn't even gotten to what he's coaching. It's all this other stuff that he, that nobody, thinks about right and that's why as as coaches get better at that and they grow their staff to the point where they're ready for it that's where you find a guy who can help you with social media or a guy who can help you with fundraising or a guy who can help you with huddle or whatever it is that you have all those extras you know if you can train up your staff to carry some of that burden for you that helps those head coaches quite a bit Right. That's why I said best offense I ever called was when I wasn't a head coach because all I had to do was design offense. Uh-huh. I hate being in the box, though. I don't know how you go up there. I hated it when I was OC. I loved it because it's so calm up there, and I could just see and pick through. Now, there were things I didn't like. I enjoyed being around the kids and those uh-huh. big moments. You kind of miss that. But efficiency, calling plays, it was so much easier for me to see the whole game from uh-huh. up there. I was also young, 24, 25. I went to the box for a game, and I was like, I want to be moving around. And I was like, nope, back to the field, and I haven't gone back since. I'm not an OC anymore, but even now, he's like, Steve, do you want to be on the box or on the field? Like, on the field. Never put me back up there because I'd be standing up and walking. Like, but, yeah, most coaches, like if you ask them what they prefer atmosphere-wise, they would pick the field, no question. Being right. around the kids, what a lot of us like and what we want. But as far as efficiency, I'm just calling plays. If you're an OC, I'd, I'd recommend a lot of guys listening. If you're an OC only, not a head coach, obviously, but just calling plays, you'd be surprised with how much better of a play caller you'll be up top. Now, there's other things you may lose out on, motivating kids, whatever else. you got to have that, all that structure set up. But as far as just calling it, it's man, the view up there, you can see the game so much better. Well, I think I was – I had a couple of coaches doing their, they take their headset off and I'm like, I don't know what they're telling these kids. And it became a trust right. issue. Yeah. And so it became that, which we all have those stories. Either we're on toxic coaching staffs or, you know, I was, I was the only one not born and raised in that town on staff. So it, it became, it's a long story. That's a whole other conversation. That'd be something I tell people like you will be on a toxic coaching staff one day and it's going to happen. And, 
maybe you're part of the problem too. I'm not saying I did things perfectly because I was young, but it was one of those where are you telling the quarterback what they need to know? Are you telling them who they need to know? Uh, did you give the right signal? Because we were, no, you know, a huddle team, but signaling it in. And so that's where I hated it up there. And I said, you know what? I have a trust issue. I'm going back. And, right. Yeah. yeah. I would say if you're unsure of who's down there, for sure, be on the field. Yeah. Like right now, coaching staff I'm with, they would never do that. Years ago at this other school I was at, yeah, because I was – even fans, they come up to me. Well, you're not from here. You don't know how we do things, like that type of environment. And so it was just right. like, yeah, I can't do that no more. And I was young, too, and figured it out very quickly. I'm like, yeah, this is not going to be well – Go, this ain't going to go well. When I turned to a fan and I said, how many state titles do you have, though? And they all get frustrated with that. And I was like, okay, I'm young. I'm mouthing off. I need to – I didn't coach for a summer and you re rethink about it. Then you're like, I gotta be calm. I gotta be cool headed. And it makes you better when you do that. Like take a step back because especially when you're young, you want the keys to the kingdom right away. You think you know it and you realize how little you do know. And you realize when you coach, the fans are going to say that to you and you're walking down, they're going to say something to you and you're just like, yeah, yeah. And you got to ignore it. Yeah. I'll give you a good old story here. So I, I don't talk to fans just because what you mentioned, but, but my, well, I have this older coach who he was about on his way out. So he's coaching two a football in Arkansas and he's, I think he's retired now, but he was at uh, some small school in Arkansas. I won't mention the name of it because mm -hmm. in case someone was listening, they said they made it. He said they had a, a decent team. They weren't just great, but had a decent team. They made it to the state semifinals and this is two ways. So that's small uh -huh. level football. So he played a team with like five Division One kids. So at that level, that's unheard of in our state. Uh -huh. So they lost to them fourteen to seven. So played them really well. Lost fourteen to seven. He said he's walking off the field, and one of his fans said, "You know, coach, you just didn't have them ready for this game tonight." And he said, "I lost." I turned to him and said, "They weren't ready at birth." That's your fault. <laughs> I said, well, I said, you didn't coach there the next year? He said, no, I knew I was leaving anyway. <laughs> That's exactly how mine was. When I said that, I knew I was going to leave. Like it was, it was me and the head coach were finally doing this. The assistants were doing this. The assistants were talking about me behind my back. If we lost a game, I'd be in Walmart and somebody would come up to me and be like, it's your fault. And I finally would say those things, or I'd be like, well, what about the defense that gave up 40 points? What about that situation? And that's, I did the same thing. And I kind of knew I was like, I'm, I'm leaving, but I haven't done that since I haven't, you have sometimes have to have those moments. And then you realize how wrong you are and you go never again. Will I do that. And I haven't, I haven't. If, if somebody says something to me, I either say 24 hour rule, don't talk to me or I, or I ignore them. Or it's, yeah, yeah, it's my fault. I do that now. Like, oh, yeah, I, I, you're right. I didn't do my job. You're right. Whatever. If it makes you feel better to be right, you're right. I didn't do my job. Yeah. It's unfortunate. That's a toxic area. You know, this the way fans think they can just talk to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't care if they yell from the stands. That doesn't bother me. Because I don't I don't hear them. 99% of the time, I don't hear what people say behind me. It's, it's afterwards. Um, like where I'm at now, not so much, but down there when you're in a small town and that's what they have, that's all they have, you are going to hear about it. Even if you're not a state winning title team, you are going to hear about it if, if you do something wrong. Um, especially cause I tell other coaches too, make sure you coach at other places. It's cool to go home. It's cool to go back, but make sure you do other things first because 
if that's all you know, then you need to stop because you got to keep learning and growing and doing this. And sometimes you got to leave and go somewhere else. And then you come back. You're like, I've coached at six different high schools for football. Like I've learned so much and now I can mold it to what I need it to do. Right. And they, and because some coaches are like, well, I ran this in high school. This is all I know. And I'm like, well, that's cool. And I, and I wanted, I wanted to coach at my high school and I did for a little bit, but then I moved around and I was like, I've learned so much. And you see the different environments, you see how things work or like fundraising. How does that work? Do you have a booster club? Do you have this? How do you organize this? You know, now I'm in the suburbs. Things work a little different up here. How do you manage that? And you're at a bigger school and you have different sports. How do you manage that? And it all puts into your portfolio if you ever go be a head coach and want to interview. Right. Absolutely. Uh, more the experience you can get, the better, I would say. Well, and I coach three sports, so I'm just – last not last year, the year before, I coached at three different high schools for all three sports. Football at one school, basketball at another school, and baseball at another school. I was all over the place. All over. Yeah, that's that's unheard of out where I am. It's always one school. You're at one school, and you might coach multiple sports, but it's one school. <clears throat> yeah, in Illinois, you can do – there's no rule against it. There's nothing. You just get certified to the state of Illinois, and it's good for life. You can coach – High school, it all depends on your school. Some schools, I might be like, nope, that's our thing. We don't want you to, but Illinois doesn't do that. But, like, I work in one town. Basketball where I coach is where I live. Then the town I coach baseball, I drive by coming home. So it was just I was able to do it. Now at my high school, a basketball job has opened up. I took the basketball. So now I'm at one school now. But when you need money and they want to offer you money to come coach it, you're like, do I – do I play the high school that I work at? And they say, nope. All right, I'm taking it. Like, you'll go do that. And if they, you need money, you're going to go do it. Especially in the suburbs. They pay decently stipends up in the suburbs. So you're like, I'm mm. taking it. And then you learn from other head coaches too, which is nice. Um, so uh, to wrap it up, because I've kept you, you're tired, you work other jobs. Um, did you think you were going to write 30 books? Did you think no. that was going to happen? I didn't think I would write one book. <laughs> so, and I, I don't really, like I was never a big time writer in high school. You know, I probably barely passed English, you know, so it wasn't a, wasn't a passion for me. Uh, but I wrote that first one back in 20, I think 2019 maybe. So it's pretty recent. That one took me forever to get done. You know, and, and so finally that one went out and the reaction for that was really neat to kind of connect with all these people. So I said, well, I'll write one a year. I'll try to do one a year. I think I can do one every single year. So 2020, right when COVID hit, I put out, I actually did two just because COVID was kind of slow. Mm-hmm. Well, then I put out the first gun T one. Like I put out that first playbook, which those, I mean, I guess those are books, but they're not really books mm-hmm. and they're kind of are. So that one went out. So in my account, I, I just count what I call real books. So like books that I had to write and go through, I'm, I'm probably at about seven or eight of those. And then I've got about 10 in the gun T world where it's like a manual for this or a manual for that or a playbook for this or an update for that. Then I started the defense. People hit me up for defense. So I've got three in that world. Uh, and then I started, we do these team themes books. Uh-huh. So I basically what I do with our kids anyway. We have a theme for the week, have a couple quotes we kind of give them. 
maybe a video we show them. And so, well, a lot of coaches, they might want to do this. So we just started kind of documenting it. So I've done now one and two, and I just finished up team themes three. I work fireworks. And so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of slow time there. So I finished that one up for what we're going to use for our kids. And we'll just make that a book. So, and then we have all those offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator books that are workbooks. Like we mentioned mm-hmm. with the head coach where it's an example and whatever. So as far as real books, I've done about eight. Mm-hmm. That kind of coordinator family, you got about 10, the gun team, you got about 10. So, but to answer your question, no, I never would have thought that was a world I was going to go into. But as I've connected with people, they've hit me up with, hey, why don't you think about doing this or doing that? And so I just kind of keep notes of, hey, this is what some coaches want. If I have time, I'll try to get to that. And then I always work. I've got about six or seven books in the process going all the uh-huh. time. So whenever I'm bored, I'll jump over there, maybe work a little bit on that book, and then uh, move move around. So I've got a couple more in the works. Uh, but no, I, I didn't set out to be an author. Like I set out to work with coaches. So I try to write my books in that tone uh-huh. of what's kind of conversational. Yeah, I have a couple, but I can't keep up. Like I, I try to... Everybody I talk to, if they have something, if they have a YouTube channel, they have books, I try to be like, all right, I'm going to support you and try to figure out how I can get it. And then like yours, I couldn't keep up. I have a couple. I just couldn't keep up. I'm like, I'll get to them eventually, but I can't keep up. Right. Well, a lot of them are very, like I said, very topic oriented. Like if you don't care about the three, four defense, you probably don't want those books. But if you run that, they're probably valuable, you know? And so that's kind of where we've moved there are a couple like mentioned general ones like i think i've got one here like that basketball coach of a like basketball coach that's the one i have yeah that's my second book i wrote and so it's one of my favorite ones and then i've got some other ones that are in that world so but then a lot of them like i mentioned are very specific to that one need well i see you found it well i found this one oh yeah that's an organizational manual yeah Yeah, that's good well like when our head coach was talking about that stuff. I remember I had this and I was like, well, here you go. Here's so I let them look at it. Yeah, I have a, like I said, I have a couple. I try to support people if I can. I have a wedding mm-hmm. to pay for, but if I can, I try to support people. Well, I appreciate it. So it's a, it's been fun. It's been neat. My wife, it's enabled her to stay home. And that was kind of one of our goals. And one of the things I wanted to do was she's a graphic designer. So she, okay. uh, she obviously makes her own money too, mm-hmm. but this is a way she could stay home. So she handles like mailing the books out and she handles designing the covers and she handles a lot of things in my business in like any kind of graphics uh-huh. I need for the website or whatever. She does that. Then I've been able to hire a, a young coach out of Florida who does a really good job with helping me do emails and marketing and make sure the websites work because uh-huh. I'm clueless on that stuff. And so and then I've got two or three guys I've partnered with that have helped me write a book. And so that's been really fun because it's been, I've got to, not only have I got to do a book, but I've got to help watch them do a book. Mm-hmm. So that's been really cool. And anytime a book sells, we just kind of keep track of it. And then I cut them a check at the end of the month. Of course, they're excited, you know, to make a little money. And so it's been neat. This last book I did uh, that I think is just about to be ready is that Team Themes 3. That's the first book my daughter wrote part of it. She's going to be a senior in high school. So it's geared towards high school kids, like, you know, themes of the week. Uh So my son who's going to be a sophomore. He picked out all the videos that we put into it, like QR code to it. 
then I've got an 11 year old son who helped design some of the pages. And then of course my wife handles all the heavy lifting on graphics. So it was our first, what I call like family uh-huh. type of books. I'm really excited about that one. That's awesome. That's a great, that's awesome. I don't even know what yeah. else to say about that. That's really cool that you could do that. It's neat because, you know, now I'll be able to say my daughter is 18. We're going to go to college here in about another year. And so she's now a published author. And so it's uh-huh. something she can kind of take with her. And uh, it's been really, really rewarding to get to do that. I take them with me. So when I go travel countries or, or uh, well, I've traveled a couple of countries, but mainly when I travel around the country, uh-huh. one of them always comes with me. So if you come to a clinic, I'm not going to start a business where I'm going to be away from my family. Right. That was kind of a deal. So either my wife is with me or my daughter is with me or my son is with me or my mom has come with me to, to one I did up in Ohio. So anytime I get a chance to go be somewhere, I want to take one of them with me. So it's not a, not a me doing a business, but kind of something we're doing together. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome way to look at it too. That's a, you're ahead of your time, I think with some of that. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's why we do that coaches cruise. And one of the reasons we do that is because I've seen how sometimes coaching can take such a toll on marriages and families and, and we've lived that, you know, I've been a coach, so I, I can understand a lot of that, but we want to try to give opportunities for coaches to go learn and bring their family. So I would like to see that one's grown quite a bit. We're at like 20 some odd coaches for next year's one. But I'm trying to figure out ways to do things like that all the time. You know, I think there, there's just such a need there for a coach to have a chance to connect with other coaches uh-huh. and ways to connect. You know, and so there's got to be a way. I think coaches are smart enough. We got to figure out a way that we can do different things where we bring our family to it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, the head coach will bring us over. He's like, bring your whole family and connect. And one of our assistant coaches just got married, and so we were all there. And and it was funny because you're in there for the wedding. All of a sudden, all the coaches end up in one area with their wives yep. and the wives and fiancés, whatever. They're like, oh, they're talking sports again. And then they, you know, they and we, they're like, are you going to talk scheme all day? I'm like, we don't know. We don't Probably know. <laughs> at a wedding, they were like, where'd you guys go? Oh, we end up outside and. We're talking about this. We're talking about that. And then another guy might come over. Oh, you guys are coaches too? And they just start talking. That's what we well, do. It's a, a great community. I think coaching is – we mentioned how hard it is. But it's also – it's such a great fraternity of guys, you know, that, that all are similar-minded. Uh-huh. And I think it's, yep. there's so much we have in common uh, that a lot of us don't know just because we've never had that chance to connect. Yeah. And that's why I took a positive from COVID. Was I got I got to I wouldn't be talking to you probably if it wasn't for COVID I wouldn't have done all that stuff or uh, Coach Carrick that runs Flexbone One Hundred One YouTube he he lives in the in Chicago so he's right here I talked to him the other night like we've become friends like he's none of that would have happened if it was like I took that positive from it and then you right. like you said you realize then you realize how we all think and we're like oh we're all the same we're all the same yes, yes yeah. Not to scare people from coaching, it's truthful. I, I'm a truthful guy, and, you, and the truth might hurt, but if you get through that hard part, it's way it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It is. It was well, rewarding, and that's the deal. Is you know you can make a lot more money probably selling insurance, but oh, you're yeah. not going to make much of a difference or be as rewarding as you are doing this. Right. 
I want young coaches to be prepared for the summer. The summer's a lot of work for no pay either. That's the other hard part. Yeah. Our head coaches well, keep – All your teacher friends are on a beach when you're in the heat of the weight room. Yeah. yeah, our head coach is doing three days a week. He's like, we're going to do nothing Mondays and Fridays. He's got four kids at home. He's like, I missed them growing up. These kids are doing travel baseball, so screw it. We're going to do three days a week. We're going to work hard those three days. But you guys get Fridays and Mondays off. And it gives us time as coaches. Like if we need to work on – like I said, we're trying to change our offense. So it gives us extra time to talk. But like we don't go back till Tuesday. So on Fridays and Mondays, I'm like, what do teachers do? Because I'm sitting at home and I'm like, I'm used to being coaching basketball or football. What are they doing right now? Are they doing nothing? They're sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> they're sleeping while I'm up talking to a coach from Arkansas while they're at home doing nothing. And I never understood it. And our head coach is keeping track of our hours. He's like, right now, if I submit it to the district, we've been here like 70 hours. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's mm -hmm. it, so that's another thing. Be prepared to do a lot in the summer for nothing. Well, no money. It's not for nothing, but it's like you're not going to make money. Right. Well, Coach, I appreciate you getting up early on a Saturday. Um, there was no scheme. I like the other stuff. Like I said, I'm, I'm all about the other stuff. Um, I'm going to put all your description links in my bio for everything. Um, but I appreciate you. It's a lot. It's a, a lot. lot. It's a good look. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to keep up with everything. I try my best. You know, every single person has a system – I try to keep up to support everybody that I can. So I try my best to do that, but I appreciate you coming on. Um, I'll put everything down there, but I appreciate you. Man, thanks for having me and good luck this year and stay in touch. Tell your head coach, you can pass on my number if you need to, since he doesn't do social media. <laughs> I will. Thank you. All right, man. Good talking to you.